TL Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 8. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 8 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy hatton And I'm Randy Ziganfoos. Today, we're speaking with Grant Lichtman, author of the recently published Thrive, How Schools Will Win the Education Revolution. Grant, a repeat guest on our podcast, is an internationally recognized thought leader on the transformation of K-12 education. He works with school teams to develop a comfort and capacity for change in a rapidly changing world. For almost 15 years, Grant was a trustee and senior administrator at one of the largest independent schools in the United States. Since 2012, Grant has visited more than 200 schools and districts, published four books, written numerous articles, and worked with thousands of school and community stakeholders to develop unique and powerful visions and strategies for transforming education away from the industrial age and towards future-focused models of deeper learning. Grant has also authored three other books, including Moving the Rock, Seven Levers We Can Press to Transform Education, Ed Journey, A Roadmap for the Future of Education, and The Falconer, What We Wish We Had Learned in School. Welcome back to the podcast, Grant. Well, thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. So let's dive in. Let's start with a personal story about how you became so passionate about school transformation. Well, I have been passionate about the transformational power of education for as long as I can remember. Uh, growing up, I think all of my heroes were teachers and coaches. And over uh, becoming an, you know, period of becoming an adult, uh, I really did realize that education is one of those human institutions that has the power to transform lives. I think in the last, what's, what's perhaps maybe more passionate uh, recently is that finally, uh, in the mid 2000s or late 2000s, uh, I think we really started to see a change in conversation, uh, with educators recognizing that the world is changing so quickly around us that we do have to fundamentally change, uh, the goals and the pathways of education. Those discussions and ideas had been around for a long time, but they've I think we're sort of blowing in the wind and lost in the forest, but now they're, those conversations are very much at the forefront, and it's great to be around at a time when uh, these conversations are, are, are uh, bringing real change to life in our schools. Mm-hmm. Starting to gain some traction. Yeah, I think we're starting to get a lot of traction. Again, these were conversations that I think people uh, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s thought were the province of uh, hippies and progressives. Uh, And now I think we realize this is a mainstream area of education that we can't continue to uh, teach our students in ways that prepare them for the past. So that passion and that curiosity has brought you to your latest book called Thrive. So for our listeners who are mostly uh, school leaders, what is your main message here and why should school leaders be interested in reading this book? I think it's very clear that K-12 education is undergoing its most profound period of evolution in the last 150 years. And one of the most important drivers, and yet one that I think has been largely underinvestigated and uh, overlooked, one of the most important drivers of this evolution is the dramatic increase in the number of choices that families now have uh, about how their children will be educated. 
we are seeing a radical differentiation of the K-12 education market. Uh, this differentiation and the number of choices are not uh, equitable uh, or uh, equal across uh, different parts of our country. Uh, varies from region to region, depending on demographics and population density uh, and that sort of thing. But it seems like the trend lines are all in the direction of more choice uh, for families. And anytime customers have a greater degree of choice, uh, it fragments the market. Uh, it, all schools and districts recognize that the lifeblood of our schools are students, uh, ensuring that students will continue to come to our schools. And where families make choices that uh, uh, decrease the population or decrease the interest in a particular school, uh, these schools face the, 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 a future of possibly being less relevant uh, to their community and possibly at some point even shutting their doors. Uh, so this is a, a part of the hand that we've been dealt to, uh, today as educators and educational leaders uh, is to ensure that uh, our school or our district will be one that continues to uh, survive and thrive in the future. Again, uh, this is not a question ne necessarily that should be viewed through a lens of, of equity or fairness. Uh, as an old geologist, uh, I know that uh, evolution uh, is neither fair nor kind. Uh, I, I, I like to say that in the great Cretaceous extinction of uh, 65 million years ago, some of the nicest, most well-meaning and uh, most the best dinosaurs that ever lived, uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes, etc., cetera, uh, did not make it through the period of uh, a period of rapid evolution. Uh, and so uh, this is why I wrote the book is to give help give school leaders the tools that they need, the proven tools that we know will be effective at what, uh, and I'll quote Seth Godin here, I'll probably quote him again before we're done, what uh, marketing guru Seth Godin says is uh, one of the hallmarks, if not the hallmark of successful uh, organizations today is uh, the ability to become irresistible to our customer base. And uh, so that's why I wrote the book. There's lots of great news out there about how schools and districts are doing this. And I wanted to share those stories and those tools. So I think this lens of choice is really interesting because I think many people, probably more so in the public sector, we kind of um, shy away from this this lens of choice and, and react to it in a probably negative way. And I think your book really invites us to embrace that reality um, and you know how can we make the most of that choice like you said become irresistible and uh, help our organizations to succeed ultimately uh, into this this future which is you know full of all sorts of ups and downs I'm sure so I think that the lens is really an interesting lens of choice yeah and, and I was I, I was initially almost reluctant to use the word win in the title because educators rightly have a reason to object to the idea that there are winners and losers in, in education. And I want to make it very clear, you know, we are not, thank goodness, uh, mostly for-profit institutions. Uh, but uh, this is, again, the kind of the hand we've been dealt where uh, families have increased number of choices. Uh, 
we have to recognize that this becomes uh, somewhat of a competitive environment and that, as you said, embracing that and uh, learning how we can better align with the needs and aspirations of our community gives our school and districts a better chance to uh, continue to thrive in the future. Uh, it, 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 it's not something that a lot of educators are comfortable with or trained in. And so I wrote the book to try to translate some of the uh, tools about what we know are both successful and appropriate in uh, this kind of differentiated marketplace into the language and the experience of educators in schools. So let's talk about some of those tools. In um, section two, you cover the five big tools for strategic change. Um, you know, what are these and how did you arrive at them? Well, there are a lot of tools <laughs> that uh, people can use to effectively change their organizations. And, and I, I won't go into all those uh, uh, here on the podcast. Uh, there are bookshelves, entire bookshelves written about how organizations effectively change in a way that aligns their values, their aspirations with what they do every day, all the way down to the classroom level. Uh, but let me mention let me mention one which I think there's tremendous convergence around. Um, John Cotter uh, from out of Harvard is probably is, is certainly one of the best known, if not the best known, sort of gurus of organizational change, and. I see a lot of convergence, both uh, uh, almost independently of his work, but uh, reflected in his model, uh, the Cotter model of how organizations change. I see a lot of individual schools and larger networks, uh, networks like uh, uh, Re Education Reimagined and Next, Next Gen Learning Challenges and Ed Leader 21 and Transcend Education. A lot of these groups that are really doing great work in helping schools and districts to transform themselves. They have a lot of pretty deep roots in the, the Cotter model. And that model really starts off with two uh, fundamental uh, steps. The first is recognizing that this is this is urgent. Uh, if we don't take this seriously, we risk losing another generation of students, and that's not something that our country can afford to do, a risk losing another generation of students to an education system that's not preparing them well for the future. But really, the, the big uh, next step of the Cotter model, which I spend so much time working on with, with schools, and I, and I elaborate for fairly great detail in the book, is schools really need to find out what is their North Star? What is that aspirational vision they have that are going to make uh, a family stand up and say, wow, we, we choose you over for all the other choices that we have. Uh, so uh, not only finding that North Star or that aspirational vision, but uh, realizing that strategy is about how to actually deliver on that, on that aspiration and that vision, uh, that is so important uh, to getting people on the same page, getting stakeholders uh, with skin in the game, uh, especially teachers who are our deliverers of that value proposition. Uh, so that, that's one of the big important tools that I talk about in, in section two of the book. And then uh, there are uh, there are some others, of course, that help support that. So let's circle back actually to section one. <clears throat> we talk about uh, three concepts, this, these ideas, uh, the ideas of value, strategy, and innovation. So share with our listeners what you mean by these words and uh, how we can use these tools most effectively in, these in this transformational work. 
Sure. We know every organization, every successful organization has a well-defined value proposition. They know what that uh, aspiration is. They know what they're trying to achieve. They, they make a promise essentially to their uh, customers and then they deliver on that. Uh, in the past, uh, in fairly recent past, really, you'd say even 10 or 20 years ago, most schools uh, had a had pretty similar value propositions. Uh, if you were a public school, taxpayer, tax-paid public school, uh, your value proposition was uh, something like the law requires your kids to go to school, and here we are, and we're free, uh, and we're going to do our best, uh, do our best to educate your your kids. Uh, and so, a lot of schools had similar value propositions. Uh, now, as we see the the number of choices out there, uh, schools have different value uh, propositions. Uh, if a school says we're going to be, for example, uh, dual language immersion program, uh, that offers a different value proposition to their customers and, and they need to deliver on that. And so uh, the real challenge that uh, schools have now is aligning three critical elements, uh, their aspirational values, uh, strategies that are going to deliver on uh, those values so that customers actually have that experience, their students and their families have the experience they promised. And then this term innovation, which are the changes that schools go through in order to continue to enhance their value proposition to get closer to what I mentioned a minute ago is uh, their North Star. Uh, those are really important terms that Educators, frankly, uh, to be honest, have bandied about fairly loosely in the past. Uh, many schools have strategic plans that are actually highly tactical. They're long lists of tactics, and they don't have a great deal to do with what real strategy is. And so I spent the first section of the book uh, trying to help educators really understand within their language, and within the context of the school experience, uh, what these three terms mean, how they're integrated, and how, when they're aligned, they, uh, they are critical to a, a school th- uh, surviving and thriving in a period of evolution. So in the final section of your book, you talk to us um, as school leaders about how we can engage our stakeholders, and you mentioned this earlier in the conversation. Um, you also circled back to Seth Godin and making our schools irresistible. <laughs> So what are some of the strategies that we can use to be sure that we're meeting the needs of our community as we transform our schools? Well, I think at a macro level, uh, there is, and I'll get to some details in a minute, but I think at a macro level, uh, the challenge that all schools have today, uh, and I'll try to describe this, though it's, it's a graphic, I think people know what a Venn diagram is. I think it's really the Venn overlap of three circles. And I think this applies to virtually all schools. We are trying to find the sweet spot that lies at the intersection of these three circles. Circle number one is what's required of us by governments, by standards, even, of course, private schools are are governed by some sets of standards. The second circle is what we as educators know about how students learn best. And that is a circle that has rapidly evolved uh, on its own in the last couple of decades as we recognize that uh, the way we taught students in the past uh, a fairly mechanical and industrial age model of learning is, is not suiting our students uh, uh, best for the future. And then the third circle is what do our customers love? Why are they going to choose our school? So again, those three, the overlap and the sweet spot of those three s- circles. What are we required to do? 
uh, how do we as educators know that students learn best? And increasingly, uh, what what do our customers love? What's going to make us irresistible? Why are they going to choose us? Uh, that's the sweet spot uh, uh, that we now have to sort out. And that is not something we've uh, necessarily, educators have had to do as much in the past, certainly not that third circle. And so engaging our community of stakeholders in uh, new ways, uh, ways that schools haven't done in the past, uh, is, is, is a skill set that educational leaders have to uh, learn and start using. The good news is that there are lots and lots of, of ways that successful organizations have uh, engaged with their communities to, f to, to find out what, they're, uh, what, what they love and what's going to make them irresistible. Uh, and we just have to adapt those to, uh, to the education experience. I'll give you one example. Uh, there is a methodology called uh, jobs to be done. And it, it asks the question, it requires, it asks us to ask the question of our stakeholders, what's the job that we, that our school is being hired to do by our customers? Uh, it's a fascinating area of study. I go to it in some detail in one of the chapters, but just a quick overview, uh, the sort of godfather of this jobs to be done model at Theodore Levitt, again, out, out of Harvard, uh, asked a very famous uh, question or made a very famous statement, actually. He said, people don't walk into a hardware store uh, to buy a quarter inch drill bit. Uh, they walk into a hardware store because they want a quarter inch hole in the wall. Mm. Uh, there are lots of different ways to get a quarter inch hole in the wall. One of them is uh, to buy a quarter inch drill bit. And so we translate the jobs to be done uh, model into schools. I'll just give you some of the feedback that I've been getting. Uh, traditionally, if we ask that question uh, to, to, to parents, to community stakeholders, some of the jobs that, uh, that, that some of the responses would have been, well, I, I, I'm hiring my job. I want you to teach uh, my student how to read and write and do math and solve problems. Or I want, to I want you to prepare uh, students for the next grade level or for college or work after high school. Or, or a job is I want you to keep our students and teachers safe. Uh, and those are still many of the jobs that schools are being quote unquote hired to do. But now when we ask parents, we get that same question. We get responses like, uh, I want you to help my child to become more globally aware, or I want you to motivate my child uh, to find and pursue her passions, or I want you to uh, uh, give my child opportunities to impact the world in a positive way. Uh, and so these are really honest, heartfelt responses by, by, by families and uh, schools that figure out how to do both the traditional role of school, which is teaching content and preparing students to succeed at the next grade level, et cetera, which are very important and valuable, but also doing them in a way that provide these other experiences uh, and figuring out what the, those jobs are most important to your community, the community that your school serves. It's one of the critical uh, uh, tools that we have that uh, school leaders uh, need to use. So that's one of the that's one of the tools that I outline in the in section three. So really, ways to get people engaged and understand um, the community values, connecting back to your your three concepts um, and opportunities to use strategies and, and innovation. Exactly. We, we basically, we want to thrill our customers. Yeah. Uh, we want them to send their kids to our school because 
we are uh, providing the, the more traditional services of teaching content and uh, providing that educational scaffold and pathway. But we also want, we also need to be worried about thrilling some of our customers. And again, this is not going to be the same for every school and every district and every city and every region. But we see artifacts of it in urban areas, in some of the most rural uh, small school districts in the country that I've visited, uh, and and the trends all seem to be going in this direction. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, Grant, really, we value the work that you do so much because it really resonates with a lot of the work that we're doing here, but it stands out in what can sometimes be a crowded field of thought leaders, um, many of whom are just trying to improve the current system and not really looking um, to transform it. And I think the, this, in your new book, this lens of of choice really, uh, I think, really resonates with those of us who are who are really trying to transform the system rather than just tweak it and make it better. So uh, yeah, you know, I have a really. I have to tell you, I have a slide in my deck that I've been using. It's a picture of a of a of a train engineer shoveling coal into a steam engine, mm. and the, the, the quote at the bottom is "shovel faster?" Question uh, mark. You know, there's a reason that there aren't coal-fired steam engines dragging trains around the country any longer. Uh, people realize that. Uh, uh, the design of a steam engine is fundamentally does not allow it to go any faster than a certain speed. You can't just get there by shoveling coal into the same engine uh, uh, more fa uh, more quickly. You have to rebuild the engine at some point, and that's the the work that you folks like you are doing every day. Yeah, I would agree with that. And 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 again, do really appreciate your thought leadership and your work out there. Well, thank you. All right, so we finish uh, our episodes of the podcast asking our guests a series of three questions, and we ask for a, sort of a rapid response. So you ready for that? Yeah, I am, though. Uh, you know, I, I, my responses won't be quite as rapid as you want, but go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. You're the guest, so you get to take that uh, agency to do that. All right, so first question. How can our listeners most efficiently and effectively learn more about school transformation? Well, uh Here's, here's what I want to mention in response to that. Um, there are so many sources now of schools and districts that are already doing schools differently. And I sort of asked myself that same question when I wrote the book. And so for the first time in this book, I, I added uh, two large appendices. Uh, one appendix is essentially my personal archive of schools and school networks that I have been tracking for four or five years uh, of what I call schools that are doing school differently. Uh, and so I've just uh, included the entire list as a starter kit in an appendix. So uh, school leaders, teachers can go and start searching websites and go, wow, and find out, you know, here's folks who are doing things differently in ways that I might be interested. Uh, and uh, I think it's a, a, a both efficient and effective tool. The second appendix is that I essentially uh, uh, recreated and put out a playbook of most, not all, but most of the activities, team-based engaging activities uh, that I have used over the last four or five years, many of which have been adopted from others, uh, I've learned from others that help uh, school teams, stakeholder teams, 
work through these processes that I describe in the book. Uh, and there's no reason that people have to go out and reinvent this wheel themselves. I decided to just uh, share it all publicly. And so I actually think those two appendices are maybe the most valuable parts of this book. And uh, it's a little bit more of a long-winded response, but oh. I know that people don't have a lot of time uh, to search this out for themselves. So I, I basically put everything that I uh, knew uh, into the book. That's a, that's a real gold mine because a lot of the things we hear too, when we, you know, present that North star or talk about that North star is okay. Well, who's doing that? And, and in the appendices, you, listeners can find out who is doing this kind of work and, and you can start to tap into those networks as well. So a uh, second question, if you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be? Well, I assume that means other than thrive. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> We're already well, recommending I, that one just are. by having, Wholeheartedly having you here. Recommending it. <laughs> well, it's a tough question. And I want to say that in the, uh, the last appendix of my book, uh, I've actually uh, generated some summaries of books that I've read that I think may have escaped some educators' radar screens. So there's that appendix as well. Uh, but I do have to call out uh, Seth Godin's book, This is Marketing. Uh, it is a tremendously good resource uh, for uh, educators. Uh, it's it's not necessarily written for not-for-profits, but so much of it will resonate. So there's so many powerful les lessons. And then the other one, if I can, let me call out one other uh, very different book, uh, General Stanley McChrystal's book, Team of Teams, which is about distributed leadership and uh, the role that uh, distributed leadership can play in effective organizations that are working in rapidly changing environments. And again, uh, a book written about and, and from the perspective of a, of a gentleman with a long history in the military, uh, but it just absolutely resonated with me about uh, what I see uh, uh, great school leaders doing with making their leadership uh, structures more effective. And I think there's a lot of great resources in it. Uh, and I, I quote that also in the book. All right. And our last question. So in this area of transforming schools, how do you continue to learn? How do you keep up to date uh, and a thought leader in this area? Well, I'm fortunate, as you all know, that I don't have a day job that ties me to one school. And so my experience is a little different. I learn every day, every time I'm with other people who are practicing educators. Uh, and so that's why I try to share uh, the way I do through my books and articles. Uh, for folks who don't have the ability to uh, maybe get out quite as much as I do, uh, I, I think there are uh, some uh, there are an increasing number of, of networks and sites, uh, groups like Next Generation Learning Challenge, uh, Education Reimagine, uh, Transcend, Ed, uh, Ed Leader 21, uh, certainly the sort of podcast work that you all do. But I think some of those organizations, and then I keep coming back to the top of my list, I think for educators is Edutopia. I think they do a fabulous job, and Edutopia is growing video library of uh, what does uh, a, a transformed learning environment look like actually on the ground in the classroom? I've used videos from that, and I've gotten teachers to just change their practice in 10 minutes by, uh, by just looking at some of those videos. So uh, those are some of the resources I'd point folks to if you don't have the maybe the, quite the flexibility that I do to just learn uh, on the ground from folks uh, every day. All right, excellent. Thanks for sharing those resources, Grant. Lots of uh Nice supplemental um, items that we can share with our listeners. So last question for us, what's next for you? What are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Well, I, I will share, it'll be a little bit circumspect, but I have to tell you that I am uh, helping in the pre-launch phase of a new not-for-profit that uh, is going to focus on three areas of learning that we think are absolutely critical, uh, to be honest, to the future of the great American experiment. And that is raising a next generation that is vastly better skilled in the areas of empathy, equity, and empowerment than our generation has been. Uh, and we are developing a pathway uh, to reach millions of American uh, teenagers and adults uh, who are not uh, being accessed directly with this messaging and this content today. And I hope you'll invite me back on about uh, nine to 12 months from now. I think we will have launched and uh, uh, I, I think it'll be terribly impactful, and I think a lot of educators will want to know what we're doing. Hmm. Interesting. Empathy, equity, and empowerment. empowerment. Personal empowerment. Yeah. yeah. Great. Sounds um, interesting. Yes, I've... we'll look forward to talking with you uh, again as that um, work progresses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you all taking the time and uh, helping to, to spread these messages and doing all the great work that you all do. Thanks so much for joining us, Grant. To learn more about Grant's work, you'll see many of those links in the show notes. Um, we included the books and highlighted the appendices and even some of the organizations that Grant mentioned. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. And this episode's question, how will you lead to make your school irresistible? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or see the resources that were shared, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season six episode eight that's all for this episode we'll be back next week with another conversation featuring an innovative thought leader thanks again grant thank you bye-bye bye-bye